As the regulars know, we're working on the precepts now. I've been going through the things that we have on our computer about the precepts, and it's interesting that every time the precepts are written, they're a little bit different from one version to the next. So I think one of my jobs is going to be to make make it all be the same. Because it looks like what we've been doing is we try to throw in extra things. We're making the precepts more difficult. But we're throwing in based on different versions. Because the Buddha wrote about the five precepts in some of his teachings where he's talking specifically to someone. Um, And so sometimes they're, they're different because it was so simple then. Somebody would just, it wasn't a ceremony or it wasn't, it might be different every time he talked to someone, but um, it's interesting how we throw, like when you get to the eight, we're throwing in two or three things, and what's one precept in the five? So we've done, we've talked about the five, and we've talked about the eight, and now we're on the ten bodhisattva vows, which are really interesting, really wonderful. Um, the ten bodhisattva vows is something that's kind of been added to the to the precepts. And uh, when we think of bodhisattva, bodhisattvas, we often think of the Mahayana tradition, because those are the those images are all the bodhisattvas are more uh, symbolic images of qualities. And so the, all the beautiful Tibetan paintings that we see have the uh, if it's if it's someone who's compassion, uh, it's like the Avalokiteshvara, which is also Kuan Yin, who's outside. You know, sometimes that image has a thousand hands, so that thousand hands behind the figure really represents that person's ready to reach out and help anyone anywhere. So we don't use those images as much in our Theravadan tradition. But now we have the Kuan Yin, who's right outside, who's the, that's the Chinese name for the same uh, Bodhisattva. But, uh, and all of us know that was, a, that was a gift for people who are, I know we've got a lot of visitors tonight. That statue is of a Bodhisattva, the Bodhisattva of compassion. But um, she came from some students in Malaysia and so she's called Kuan Yin, which is her Chinese name, and they they sent they sent her over here. Or we call Kuan Yin usually a her, but bodhisattvas are not a he or a she. Although this one looks a lot like Mary, so whenever you see Kuan Yin, it will often look like the Virgin Mary. So she's holding a a, a, a vase in her hands, and that's her elixir that will heal. It's an elixir for good health and uh, well-being. And then there's usually a big, uh, a, uh, not a flower, but a, a stalk of something in her hand. And I'm not, I can't remember right now what the stalk is, what it's a, a branch of. So she's about healing the ills of the world. So she's there. Uh, so the bodhisattva vows are some in Pali are called the ten paramitas. So they're the ten qualities that are part of the training to become a Buddha. And they're actually all the ten, these ten qualities are what we talk about all the time. 
So whether you take the bodhisattva vows or not, or the ten paramitas, everything we talk about is about these ten qualities. So the nice thing about having them all together in one collection, and all traditions use pretty much the same ten, um, they, what they do when they're together is it gives us something that's easier for us to work with. So when you take the ten paramitas, they can become the ten qualities that you can focus. They're ten training qualities to being a really good human being and eventually to becoming a Buddha. So the, but they're, but does anybody know them all? I think I know them all now. <laughs> it's only taken me how many years? So the first one is generosity. And, and think about these as, as I mention them, and I'll just say a little bit about them, but think of how you see yourself uh, encountering and working with these qualities whenever you're practicing or in your life now, or that you hear in talks or in the stuff you read. Think about how often you hear these talked about, or even in our chanting. So the number one quality is generosity. And there are a lot of reasons for that being number one. But one of the, one of the main reasons generosity is so important is that generosity is when we first, you know, we teach little kids to be generous, to share their toys. Generosity is the first, one of the first ways we learn to start not holding on that such a tight grip to ourself, to that self. We, begin, we let go of ourself when we share our things, when we give things to other people. And when, we, um, we're re, when we're doing that, we're relinquishing that hold on, this is mine. And we're starting to recognize that, you know, those are the concepts of me and mine. This is who I am. This is, belongs to me. We start, we start let, being able to let go of those kind of concepts. So it helps us uh, realize the connections that we have with all other beings when we begin to be generous. The second one is I undertake the training in the quality of virtue. And virtue refers to what we call the precepts, the five precepts. And again, that's that's our understanding of being harmless, doing no harm to living beings. So we undertake the training not to, not to take life. Um, the second one is we undertake the training not to, to steal. The third one is we undertake the training not to engage in sexual misconduct. So sexual misconduct is, is harming someone or harming ourselves. And it's, uh, so, so we're, we're not saying there's anything wrong with, with sex and sexuality in our lives. It's the, the misuse of it or the harmful use of it towards ourselves or someone else. The third one is, I, wait, the, I need to do the fourth and the fifth of the five precepts. So the fourth is, to not um, tell a falsehood, not to tell a lie. 
So it's the beginning of working with our speech because we add four more, three or four more, in our next set of precepts. But we begin with speaking honestly, not telling lies. And the fifth one is not to become heedless with intoxicants or drugs. So um, that heedlessness is just totally opposite the mindfulness that we're always trying to develop. So it's not, I think of that heedlessness and that kind of intoxication is the way we, um, we, we when we want to zone out, when we want to, like, give me a break, I need a break from all this. I'm going to space out, I'm going to zone out. So maybe I'll get, maybe I'll just have an extra glass of wine or uh, do a little recreational drugs and, and, or sit in front of my TV and watch Netflix or I'll eat ice cream all night or I'll go shopping and spend a lot of money that I really shouldn't be spending. Or, uh, you know, we all have those things that are our intoxicants, the things that cause us to be mindless or heedless. Sometimes we just feel like, oh, I deserve this because I've worked hard this week or I've been through, I've been through a hard situation. But those are the, those are the times we need to, to try to, um, with determination, uh, stay, stay on, stay one foot in front of the other. And not, we can certainly relax, but we don't need to become heedless and like totally, totally drop off for a while. So those are the five. So the second of the bodhisattva vows is training in the quality of virtue. So that's, that includes all of that, our behavior, our thoughts, our behavior, and our actions. So the third one is I undertake the quality of renunciation. So renunciation includes three things. So there, renunciation includes that quality of uh, letting go of the things that we don't need to stay, that we don't need to have in our lives, like the unnecessary parts. But it also means... Uh, renunciation in terms of being a compassionate person and having the quality of loving kindness in our lives. So that's included in that. The fourth one is to undertake the quality of wisdom. Wisdom that begins with understanding and really uh, seeing in motion in the world the Four Noble Truths to really understand that this is the reason for suffering, the reason for that dissatisfaction in life. It's from not recognizing the true nature of the world, of the way things are in this world. So we try to cling to things that are impermanent, and that causes suffering because we're not, we're not, uh, we're not acknowledging or accepting the fact that all conditioned things are impermanent. And their nature is to rise, fall away, go back. So um, that's the what we're trying. The first part of wisdom that we work with is understanding that and realizing that it's that uh, it's not the desire for things that's that's a problem. It's the clinging to them that's the problem. 
uh, we, desire is natural. It's part of our human, it's the way we work as uh, animals. You know, that desire keeps us alive. But when we decide that we have to have something and we don't ever want it to leave, or when we want to push things away that we don't like and think that we can do that, we're, we're just, we're, we're being ignorant. We're, we're living in delusion. And so uh, what happens when we have that ignorance about just, I mean, we can all look around and see the nature of the world. If, we're, if we really are students of nature, we see all of this just, you know, watching outside our, our front door, front window. We see that everything has that cycle of life and death. We see that nothing's permanent. The seasons change. And then we see that, that our own bodies change. So we, we're all of that nature. The things we have to remember that the Buddha talked about a lot was we have to remember we're all of the, the nature to grow old, to become sick, to, and to die. So that's just, that's just the way this world and this life is. So the more we are in harmony with that, the less we suffer. That means we don't, we don't clutch on and hang on to things so heavily, so tightly. We, we feel everything. We, we're sad when we lose someone. We're sad when we see ourselves losing, you know, the ability to sit on the floor. Uh, or the or the ability to run fast, or we we don't maybe don't like seeing ourselves grow older or getting sick, and the we we can't we at a certain we can't fight it. The perp, the reason is not uh, to we don't want to delude ourselves into thinking that we cha- we can change that. But if you know if you think about it, the world is full of people trying to change that, and you think of. Uh, you cannot avoid seeing all the advertisements for uh, makeup and hair coloring and uh, gym, gyms and uh, ways, to, ways to live to be over 100. Or people are saying, there's no reason people have to die. We can extend life to go on forever. I can't imagine anything worse than that. <laughs> um, but but we see that that's that's I'm sure there are scientists who are that's what they're working on and and uh, the fountain of youth and uh, things that make think of the billions of dollars that are spent on face creams and makeup and things to help people keep looking younger. So that's that's the opposite of what wisdom is. There's no there's no uh, it's great to look your best and to look wonderful. And there, everything is, is in moderation. But you know, you, you see all the time people who are trying to live in denial of the, the, the real laws of nature. And it eventually becomes not attractive, no matter how hard they try. It eventually starts to crack. So that's true wisdom is understanding the nature of the world that we live in. So the, the, the fifth quality is energy. And uh, energy and determination sometimes seem a little close, seem uh, like they're close to me. But this, and when we talk about energy, and the Pali word is vidya, vidya, uh, that's really 
energy and effort and uh, strength. So that's literally the physical energy that we put into doing something. So it's when we when we set that good intention for to do anything, we we have to like motivate ourselves to move ourselves to do it. So it's literally that energy to um, to come here to sit. Because sitting in meditation isn't like going to sleep or taking a nap. You know, it's it's it takes your energy to sit quietly and still and stay with your breath and you know do that's that's and we're moving in the world all the time. We're not we're not following a path that says separate from the world and just you know sit in your house and meditate. Meditation is just the way we train. And then we go out and literally walk our path, live our path. Uh, patience is the next one. It's number six. Patience is very important. It's important because patience is a way we deal with a lot of our difficult emotions. When we're experiencing uh, anger, patience can be a way. Patience can be a way to really work with anger. Just think, I'm not getting my way right now. You know, like, I'm not the person, the person I'm angry with is not doing something to me uh, right now. I'm just impatient with, it's, it's like a, a someone coming home and the dishes haven't been washed, right? So your roommate or your child or your partner was supposed to wash the dishes and they're not washed. So we can choose to get angry. But if we throw some patience in with what we feel rising up, we can realize, you know, my timetable was the dishes would be done before I got home. But with some patience, we can see maybe that just wasn't that person's timetable. We can work with it a little differently. And many bigger issues, we have to be patient with ourselves. A lot of times we get become critical and angry with ourselves because we're not, we're not, meditating long enough or we're not as good as we think we should be by now or uh, we're, we're judgmental and hard on ourselves and that's where we probably see the need for the most patience to begin with be patient with yourself that's part of loving kindness it has to be you have to practice it towards yourself before you can experience the benefits and then see how good it would be to extend those qualities out to others. Truthfulness. So the quality of truthfulness is, it seems obvious, doesn't it? Uh, but it, it's, it's not, is it? Because, you know, so many times people really think it's okay not to be truthful. So I think it's much more than just not telling lies. And it's not, it's much more than even our speech, the truth, the quality of truthfulness. A lot of truthfulness is about being honest with ourselves, not deluding ourselves, because we know that delusion is that the great kind of cause underlying all uh, samsara, all of this wheel of life. It's, it's our basic ignorance about the way things work. And so truthfulness is trying to really always be open to seeing what really is. 
And uh, not being afraid of that, not having any, I think also not, not having fear about it. Uh, it's just opening up to, okay, the way things really are or is not like the way I things I want them to be right now. But let's deal with what really is. But with gentleness and love and patience. Uh, the next one is determination. And this determination is that, um, uh, uh, different from energy, determination is that resolution that we have that I'm going to accomplish something or I'm going to do something. It's not about making, setting goals or making plans that then, then we get upset if we don't meet those goals. Determination is just, I'm going to keep going. No matter what, I'm going to get through this rough patch or no matter what, I'm going to, uh, keep taking the right steps, take, take the next right step. Sounds like the 12 steps, doesn't it? Very similar. Um, loving kindness is number nine. And loving kindness is that ability to be, to send goodwill, to send friendliness, both to ourselves and to all others. And we, we just develop it within ourselves. We extend it out until it's just who we are. We're not, we don't have to work with it all the time. It just becomes just our natural practice. But we have to start with ourselves. We have to, and that can be, sometimes we may need to stay with ourselves for quite a while if we have a lot of self-judgment and self-criticism. It's okay to just practice loving kindness towards yourself. Work with that. And then when you feel ready, then begin to extend it out to others. It's, then it'll be more genuine because you see, you see that if it's hard for you to take care of yourself, to be kind, to have a friend in yourself, you understand how hard it is for other people too. So just working with yourself, you can develop that compassion towards others. And the last one is our favorite equanimity. Equanimity is that, was it in this group or was Wednesday? Someone had looked it up in the dictionary. So equanimity, we always talk about being the balance that we're always wanting to come to. But the dictionary definition is keeping a level head in the face of uh, difficult situations. So I I love that level-headed, that term being level-headed. So I keep imagining that level on a, you know, if you have a, the old ones had the little, the little bubble in the middle. So you, if you had a level. So I think of that little bubble in the middle is our level head. So no matter how, and what we, that's equanimity because no matter how rough things get, we know in the, through the Buddhist teachings and through what we see in the world, we know those bad times will be over and then we'll go into a period where things might be great, then that will end. Maybe things will be nice and neutral for a while and then suddenly, you know, it starts swinging both ways. So equanimity is when we realize we can, we can always come back to the center. We can always be that level head. 
Uh, it doesn't mean we, it doesn't protect us from having difficult times and experiencing loss and sadness and anger and depression and everything else. We're not, we're not uh, becoming immune to that, but we're learning a way to deal with it and to have it be, um, to have a way to work with it so we can have peace in this life. And even when we're in those difficult times, we know we can come back. That, that we will come back. And so we, we make it, we, we make it through. And equanimity is that, the last one on the list because it's the one that's probably the one that's closest to actually becoming enlightened. Because it's really getting rid of all those, um, you know, when you, when you are, have equanimity, you, you don't have, um, viewpoints, so you're never taking things personally, you don't have, uh, you, you're not, you don't, nothing, nothing rattles you, because you're not, you're not taking on all the other stuff that's floating around out there. You know, you're your own level head, so you're, you're, you're at the center, and everything else you can see is just being out there around you. It doesn't have to sway you. So those are the ten. And I uh, today I was talking to someone in Las Vegas, and she's she recommended a book, in addition to the ones that we have for the precepts, and it's called Living Life as Spiritual Practice, and it's by someone named Jean Smith. Have any of you heard of it? She really recommended it, and it's Allison who comes here from that group, so I know she's. Uh, she's read the other books, but she says it's it's a very it's a more concise book, and she can take like she was reading patience today. That's what she's working with, so she reads the few pages about it, and then she she can just be she can be more aware of that quality when she's studying it, and just kind of see things in her everyday life that uh, that relate to it. And can see how how frequently um, it's it's a part of our lives, and it can make or break a day, right? So her daughter just had a baby. She said it was good to be working with patients, because the way the hospitals are, the baby didn't get out of the hospital till about midnight. The hospitals let the baby be in the hospital 24 hours after they're born, so no matter what time the baby's born. 24 hours later, they have to leave. So her daughter and son-in-law were signing papers and everything about 11 o'clock at night. So it just made everybody involved um, very tired. So the parents, the two parents were home the next day. But the, but the mother and the, uh, the in-laws were all helping with the other baby they have. So Allison, Allison thought patience was a perfect lesson for her. Okay, I can't talk anymore. I've lost my voice completely. So um, I'll, I know that book's on Amazon, though. So as before, remember that gold table has the precept sign. It's the pre-precept sign-up sheet. I don't think I had it Monday night. 
So you don't have to make a commitment to the precepts, but the pre-precept sheet... Oh, thank you. <laughs> Thanks, Monty. The pre-precept sheet is so you can um, get more information about the precepts before we do the classes. Or if you have a lot of questions, we can have some meetings during this month where we can answer the questions. So then you can sign the precept list that means you want to commit to taking the precepts. And then we always have a class for the precept takers <clears throat> uh, closer to the precepts. And that's talk about, you know, if you need to wear special clothes or what, well, how we do it. And this year we'll have an application for everyone who wants to take the precepts. So, any questions? The, the author is Gene Smith, J-E-A-N. I think the title is Living Life as a Spirit as Spiritual Path. It may be Life as a Spiritual Path. I ha I have it all on my phone. So check it out.